0: What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock, you are my glory, you are the lifter of my head. I wish I had great faith, you <laughs> know like Peter who walked out of the boat unto the crashing waves. What a, what a man, huh? David, you faced a giant with a slingshot and a stone. You know, think about the, the thousands of warriors, tens of thousands, all shaking in their boots, wanting, wanting to do something for the kingdom of God but didn't have the strength to do it. You know, and I'm thinking, man, I, I want that kind of faith. You know, I, I think of Samson, who we're going to speak about this morning, who took, a, a, you know a, a jawbone from a donkey and defeated an army of a thousand men? That's great faith. I, I, I just admired him. Did, did you know that he is written in that, that amazing book called Hebrews in that Chapter of the Hall of Faith? Let's begin there in Hebrews chapter 11. And then we'll move over into Judges. And it's on the board if you don't want to move there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 34, it says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, and Samson. There's our guy. He's right in between Abraham and David as a man of faith. And it says in Jathath about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. I love the story of Samson. If you've ever read it, you wonder, why is he even in this hall of faith? Because he is a man that, that, that really put himself in the, these, these, this arena of the flesh. Uh, the, he, he gave way to his fleshly appetites. And he was always, it seemed to be, sinning and falling short of what God had for him. But yet, we read about him in the hall of faith, some morbid, the reason that really comforts me, you know, and I think it may comfort you as well because you know that, you know, we're, we're, we're a bunch of, you know, failed lives, but yet in the hands of God, he can do s- such amazing works. And when I read this, I, I'm so, you know, comforted. Sansom was a giant man of the faith but failed in his spiritual life. And yet, I, you know I see him recorded in this hall of faith, and it really comforts me. The Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God romans ten seventeen This faith is is not a, a magical you know uh, experience through you know, emotional rise. You know, sometimes you go to churches and they want to make you run around the church and they want to sing songs that get you all excited. And then you're like, wow, that was a great service. I have so much faith. That's not what faith is. Right? If the faith isn't about your emotions. Faith is trusting in God's word. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from God's word, putting your trust in his promises. In fact, that's what caused me to go out into the mission field, to go there for and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So based on God's word and based on his promise, I went out on the adventure of faith. And that's, you know, and God kept me secure. And I, and I really believe that God had me secure until it was time to go home or come back to Santa Rosa, you know. But it was his word that I moved out upon. It's, that's what faith is. Faith is trust, not a buildup of emotions, you know. Rah, 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 you know, I don't have to raw you up, you know. Count one, two, three. Yeah, rah, rah, you know, I don't have to do that. It's God's word that builds you up. And so this is very important because Samson put his trust in God's word. That's that's why we're reading this morning in the hall of faith. He's there. In fact, Judges 13 verse 5 says this. His mother, of course, was promised by an angel, and we believe him to be Jesus. It says, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So he confidently puts his trust in God's promise to his mother. The written word, if you will, now. He says, hey, God has called me. Thus I'm gonna do great things for the kingdom of God. And one of the things he had uh, been given this great power was to rid the nation of Philistine to begin that work. It's interesting. It says to begin it because I wonder if he could have ended it completely if he would have stayed faithful. But nevertheless, he begins that work. We see later on that uh, Samuel and then David, of course, or I should say King Saul and then David will continue with that work in ridding the uh, the hands of Philistine You know, the Philistine nation was coming upon them and taking their fruit. Anything they grew on the ground, they took it, and and they had no life. Samson was given a specific gifting to bring about a great delivery. Let me give you an introduction. Samson was a Hebrew with an unusual gift of strength who must respond properly to the call of God in his life in order to lead his people out of enslavement a child born in response to prayer. His parents received two visits from an angel of the Lord, maybe Jesus Christ, giving them special instructions about caring for the child. His 20-year judgeship is told in this short section of Scripture, although his life is filled with one exciting adventure after another, this son of promise had a fatal attraction to the Philistine world. How does such a great one end in such a tragic place his youthful ambitions led him into a tragic marriage his act of revenge thrust him into direct conflict with the philistine army little did we know that god would use samson's ambition for his purpose samson's parents raised him to be a nazirite a godly child who was never to drink wine touch dead things nor cut his hair he was devoted to god The Spirit of God began to move on Samson as a youth. It was evident to everyone that the Lord had blessed him. In Judges chapter 13, verse 24 and 25, it says this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Estol. So we see that the Lord had poured out his spirit upon Samson and began to stir in him to do great works. And some of those works that he did were amazing. You remember when he took the two fox, I don't even know how you grab a wild dog like that. And he grabbed the two fox, tied their tails, put a fire, you know, stick in between them and said, let them run off. And they began to burn all the Philistines, uh, you know, all the vineyards in there. And it's interesting because it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start a fight. And it's because the Lord put it in him to start a fight. But he grabbed those two fox. I don't know if have you ever try to run after a, you know, a puppy or even a wild dog. And just, it doesn't work like that. How does that grab, whoom, grabs him and puts him, you know? And then we see these major events where he's face-to-face with the Philistine and he does these amazing feats It's because the Spirit of God was upon him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals in the Old Testament to do mighty things for the kingdom of God. Did you know... In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it says there in verse 8, it goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. That word power is our Greek word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power to do great things for the kingdom of God. Now, understand the words here. There's three works Of the Holy Spirit in the believer's heart. When in John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus is telling the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be with you, alongside you, the Greek word para. And of course, chapter 16 of John, uh, verse uh, 5 to 10, tells us what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's convicting you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. You need a Savior. And so then the Holy Spirit testifies of who Jesus is. So then you look to Jesus, and then going back to chapter 14 there, verse 17, it said the Holy Spirit will be with you, convicting of your sins. And then when you acknowledge you're a sinner and you need a Savior, you give your life to Jesus. He lives in you. So you have with and you have in. Those are very clear, distinct Greek words. And then you move into book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, and you can read there, it says that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon you. That Greek word epi or epi that we all need. In the Old Testament, it was only for select individuals. But as believers, we can all have that. For in second, you know, the second chapter of the book of Acts, it says there, it's for all of your sons and for all who believes, Peter preaching, you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very important that you understand in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. That could not happen until Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Then he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them there in John chapter 20, verse 22. And for the first time, they received the Holy Spirit in them. And then he tells them, wait in Jerusalem for the power. That's what we're reading about, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and only a select individuals could have that in the Old Testament, and we see that with Saul, we see that with David. So here he is, he receives the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, and now he is blessed to do this great work for God. And so it goes on there in chapter 16, verse 1. Let's read it. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute He went in to spend the night with her. I I hate reading that because then I got to explain it. The the people of Gaza were told, Sanson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we will kill him. But Sanson laid there only until midnight of the uh, middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all, he lifted them to his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. And so we see this man who was renowned for his strength would be brought to his knees because he couldn't harness his own fleshly desire. This is the problem with Samson. And may I submit to you that maybe many of us that we are given over to our fleshy desires. Now, Romans 6 says that the power of sin has made, it's rendered powerless over your life. So then what causes us to sin? It's the memory. It's our flesh. It's the taste buds. It's the smell. It's the hearing. It's the touching. Oh, You know, those things haunt us if we allow it. And then it brings us back into sin. Galatians chapter 5 tells us we're in a battle. Who we give our lives to will dominate us. If we give our lives to the fleshly desires, then that will dominate us and it gets worse and you become blinded by sin. But if you give yourself to the spirit of God and his word, then you become fruitful and you live a peaceful life being led by God Almighty. So there's a battle that takes place. Have you ever heard where Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me daily? That's daily. You get up in the morning, you're like, oh, flesh, get down, you know, and stay down. In fact, Paul says in Romans, he says, reckon the old man dead, right? That's the flesh. God has given you victory, but you have this remembrance. And by the way, it doesn't go away until you die, (laughs) right? It's there. Don't give in to him. Don't give in to the old flesh. Don't give in to the memories. And don't they haunt you? You know, even the smell comes into your senses like, whoo, what was that? You know, and it just starts arousing your flesh and you start going back to days of old, right? Take that and hold it captive, captive, and push it down out of your thoughts and in your mind and say, I'm going to be a servant of God and live for him. So this is what's happening to him. He's given way, and of course, his vice is women. You know, and, and you know, whatever you grew up with is always going to be a temptation before you because it's there in your memory. And what is it that has captured your thoughts? What is it that dominates your, your very mind? Those are things that you're going to have to capture and throw down for the rest of your life. And I just praise God that every now and then he just takes it completely out and you never have to think about it. Pray for that, my friend. Amen. Let's continue in verse four. So, you know, he, he, he sees this prostitute. He goes to her and then he does this great work, right? He, he he, you know, They want to kill him, and so they surround him, and they're waiting for the morning. But he comes up in the middle of the night, and he takes the gatepost gate and the foundation, and he lifts it up, and he goes up the mountain. And that alone brought fear to them all. And they're like, Ooh, we're not going to attack him, man. That, that is power. That's an anointing. And that anointing came from God. And so listen now, and It continues in verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Deliah. We all recognize that name in this story. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overcome him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Deliah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become weak as other men. Then the rulers of the Philistine brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson! The Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstring as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. So in our text here in verse 4, it says that after it happened, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. He loved a woman? This guy. We aren't told... (laughs) We aren't told anything about Samson's youth. Scriptural documentation of Samson's life jumps from the birth to his infatuation with beautiful Philistine women. Old Testament law forbade intermarrying with a person who was not a Jew. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, 4. You know, he wanted them to be set apart. He knew that, God knew that if they were to chase after these women, these women would lead them to these Foreign gods, by the way, that did occur when they were coming out of the nation of uh, Egypt, and so we saw that in the wilderness. It says this this command is repeated in the New Testament for us in 2 Corinthians 6:14. As for believers, let's read that. Do not let's see is it up there? Uh, it says there. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So we're told in the scriptures, as Christians, we ought not to go with non-believers. The reason is very obvious. You want to take your kids to church, they want to take them to the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> you know? they, they, they want to teach them how to drink you know, alcohol, and you're trying to give them purity. It's, it's there. And there's a battle that will take place. And so he says, hey, if you're a believer, marry a believer. And so it still cries out today. So here, Samson was drawn away by the Philistine world. We must be careful about what claims our attention and dominates our thought life. If you get too close to the world, the world will overtake you. That's how it happens. And here, Samson keeps playing with fire over and over again. Three times, by the way, she tried to destroy this man. How long will Samson play with her and his flesh? The same time, let's drop down to verse 15, because those verses are all about her trying to snag him. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Deliah saw that he had told her everything, she went. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistine, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistine returned with silver in their hand. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then, of course, this one of the saddest scriptures. In all the Bible, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And here's the phrase, some of the the, the saddest words that you can read in the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Out of all the fears I have, it's this one. Not recognizing the anointing of the Lord has departed. Listen, our salvation is secure. Jesus bought us. He brought us back to himself. But you can lose that anointing. That anointing that the Holy Spirit pours out upon you to do things for the kingdom of God. And that's what I fear. I fear, and then I pray this every morning, especially when I'm teaching in front of an audience. Lord, let not my words just fall to the ground. But Holy Spirit, take my words and put them deep within people's souls and cause tremendous changes. But if you don't have the anointing, then your words are just going to fall to the ground. And that's kind of fear that I have. Lord, let not, you, not, let not that anointing depart from me. This is what David prayed in Psalms 51 verse 11 Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Very biblical in the Old Testament, right? Because the Holy Spirit came upon them, so the Holy Spirit could be taken away. But for us, as believers, pay attention, as believers, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would live in us and will never, ever depart. So it's the anointing that we're talking about. And that, my friends, is a problem. Because how can we be a effectual minister of God's word to our neighbors, to our relatives, to regions, to countries, you know, all over the world, if we have no power? If our words are meaningless. And sometimes our flesh gets us into a place where the anointing has departed. That is fearful, my friends. Listen to what it says. A fearful, fight, a fearful place to be. Verse 21 Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with a bronze shackle. They set him to a grinding, set him to grind in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. All these things are pictures of sin's power in our lives. Those who allow themselves to be taken in the trap of sin... We'll find that sin has the power to bind, blind, and grind. Sin binds men by enslaving them in, a ha- in habits that are hard to break. Isn't that true? Those old vices, you know, proclivities, you know, <laughs> that come and they take us and they bind us back into the old flesh. Listen, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. This is the church. Drunkenness, sexual immorality. There's so many things that the Bible declares. Now listen, you know, as, as a pastor, there's a higher standard in my standard in my life. So there's so there's a lot of things that are not written in God's word that I won't partake in. But when the Scripture is clear, that's where we all need to look at and go, oh, <laughs> you know, we need to stop doing these things that are affecting our lives for the kingdom of God's sake, but our families. Our friends, it's destroying people. It's destroying our families. And that's what sin does. You know, mm-hmm. the, you, you understand this. You know, we, we don't go to bars and preach this. We don't go to arenas, you know, where the gladiators and preach this. This is the house of God. You know what I'm saying, my friends. These sins that come in and they sneak in and they get into our lives and they're hard to break. The trap of sin will find that sin has the power to bind, blind, and grind. Sin binds men by enslaving them in habits that are hard to break. Sin blinds them into believing that there's nothing wrong with their lives or with the sin they are committing, right? Isn't that true? When we're in sin, oh, we're okay. I'm just a prayer away from getting right. And then years go by, five, 10 years, 15 years, you're still on that addiction. And you're like, Lord, where are you? The Lord's been there. It's you that have walked away and found such pleasure in the sin. The Bible makes it clear there is pleasure in sin. Oh, but into slavery you will go, right? The freedom is not in the ability to sin. The freedom is obeying God who knows what's best for your soul, what's best for you. Watch out for this. Sin grinds them into powder and uses their lives until they are just a shell of what they used to be. The truth is sin will bind you, blind you, and grind you. It will wear you out, and it will waste your life. A life that could have been productive and useful to the Lord will become a proverb on the dangers of sin. You may not believe a word I'm saying to you today, but sin will ruin your life. If these words were the last words we read about Samson, we would say, what a wasted life. All the potential. All the, 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 the famous upbringing of being a Jew. He had all that. The anointing. The power. If all that, you know, if, if, if it was here that ended, we would say, oh, oh, Lord, allow my life not to be where he has ended up. But it says there in Judges 16, verse 22, it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Really, there's no power in the hair, guys. <laughs> just, just to throw that out there, you know, you don't have to grow the hair and go, look at me. You know, you know when I was young, uh, there, um, Kelly, Kelly, so someone said, Ross, he looks like Pastor Ross. And I'm like, what? You <laughs> know? Long hair and everything. He goes, yeah, when Pastor Ross was young, I go, are you serious? Someone said that to me. I, I didn't believe him because that's a lot of hair. Thank <laughs> Kelly. I don't want to put you down, Kelly. But, you know, some of these young guys grow the hair is my strength. You know, no. No, it wasn't his strength. It was his devotion to God. The strength was his symbolism of that devotion. But now they have put him into grinding the mill and now he's blinded. But it's here where he sees God. It's here where he repents and gets right. It's here that his devotion is growing once again. The symbolism is his hair is growing. And the writer here of Judges makes it very clear. But the hair on his head began to grow. Woo. You know, <laughs> be careful because, you know, this is awesome. I love it because Psalms 51 17 says this. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. If you come humbly before the Lord and you repent, he will never turn away from you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he will forgive you. And he gives you a new beginning and a new start. Listen to verse 23. It says this. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain while they were in high spirits they shouted bring out samson to entertain us oh my goodness now he's just an entertainer right so they called samson out of the prison and he performed for them and when they stood and, and when they stood him among the pillars it says in verse 26 that samson said to the servant who held his hand put me where i can fill the pillar and support the temple so that i may lean against them. I love the old King James, right? Suffer me, lad, that I might put my hands on the pillar. You know, because he had another plan in mind here, right? God, use me again. Listen to what it says there. It says there in verse 29, uh, Verse, I'm sorry, verse 28. Oh, let's, let's go back up verse 27. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform, not counting all the ones below. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. And I love this prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Oh, God, please strengthen me just once more. I love that. Just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, notice this, thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. That's the calling that God brought him to. The Philistine Lord called for Samson to make sport for them. This grand warrior of yesterday, now blind and broken, is led by a child into the courts of the enemy. It would seem to the casual observer that Samson is now only a plaything for the Philistine. But remember, though his hair, his covenant with God is growing, thus restoring his access to power, a simple request to a lad. And a humble prayer to God spelled disaster for the Philistine. The simple request from which we draw out our text, suffer me to fill the pillars. Or as we would say, lead me to the pillars. I love that old King James. Suffer me, lad, that I might put my hands on the pillar. Lord, let me have a pillar moment in my life that I might be used by you again. I love that. Oh, Lord, and I pray that often. Lord, let me have my pillar moment. That the, that the effects of my ministry as my youth would be greater in my aged self now. You know, I often pray that. And sometimes, guys, and, you know, men and women, we, we, we need to get rid of sin in our lives. And we need to come humbly before God. And we need to plead with him. Even there, if you've never had a pillar moment, pray, God, give me a pillar moment. But some of you have experienced these great pillar moments. And some of you have been so far from God and you need to experience once again, God, one more time. Hey, that's what he prayed, right? God, give me a chance one more time. Let me have that pillar moment that I might bring you glory. I need a pillar moment in my life. I don't know about you, but I want one. I desire that. The enemy may have lied to you, made sport of your failure, exploit your plight and used you for a laugh, but don't despair of hope. Pray again and feel for the pillars of the prison house. You can recover your promise and find revival for the things you may have lost. The latter end of your experience can be greater than all you've known before. With your heart, touch God, and with your hand touch the pillar, and bow yourself in the expectation of complete restoration and victory. Amen? Amen. We need that. Finally, finally, you can't overestimate the grace and mercy of God. Oh my goodness. This, this chapter you know, 11 of Hebrew reminds me of that. When I see Samson's name written in there, I'm so comforted. Lord, even as he fleshed out You used him. Lord, and I know you can use us. I know that, Lord, that you can forgive us instantly and give us victory over our flesh that we might be used by you powerfully to bring you glory. Lord, I know that. Will you do that? Don't don't overestimate the grace and mercy of God. Sanson remembered the graciousness of God. He knew that God could still use him. Sanson believed God could use whatever time he had left And he was right. Yes, Samson believed God could use him no matter how he had failed. From the pit of despair, Sanson prayed. In the simple prayer, he asked God to strengthen him one more time. Oh, there's so many here that need to come to God and come humbly and say, God, one more time. Amen? Amen. Oh, man, I I don't know about you, but for me, in my latter years, you know, I know I'm not older than some of you, but I'm not younger than some you know? <laughs> In my latter days, you know, I, I want to be used by God more. Hallelujah. And you know and, and, and yeah, our flesh gets in the way, and yeah, my flesh gets in the way. But I know this: that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen. God wants to take you in and use you powerful, powerfully for His kingdom. I think of all the great adventures that I got to be a part of. I, I, there's this one that just always in my mind, this man asked me to come and share at his, at his gathering, you know, and he said, come and share at our gathering. My wife and I went, and when we got there, we didn't expect to see 8,000 people coming there, and we're like, <laughs> in my heart, I don't want to go out, God. Can I play sick? Can I, I want to play sick because you know, my heart's coming out of my chest. And, you know, and, uh, and my wife, she's like, come on, Bond. Get, get manly. Get up there. You know? my, my wife, she's such an edifier. You know. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I get up there, and I preach the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. God takes his word, goes deep within souls, and so many people gave their lives to Jesus. It was a powerful work of his grace. And that stands out so, mo- so much to my, you know, it, it, there's many things, but that one was really huge. And I think this, Lord, use me one more time. Use me here in Santa Rosa. Use me here in America, Lord. We've seen great revival start in L.A. Why not here in Northern California? And why not with you? Huh? Amen? Why not start with you? And all we have to do is come before the Lord, bow our hearts humbly, and say, "Here I am, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And I need you to come in and take what I am and radically change me." And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes inside the soul, and he begins to do that transformation. Really Listen, guys, your body expresses what's happening in your soul. If bad things are coming in your mouth, out of your mouth and bad habits, it's what's taking place in your soul. So when Jesus goes in there and begins to change it, then things begin to show outwardly what's taking place inwardly. And that's where the help comes. Yeah, are you wrestling with sin? This is where Jesus comes in. And he begins to come in and gives us that unction, that help. He goes, I'm going to do it for you because I know how weak you are. And I love that because I am weak indeed indeed. But it's the power of Jesus Christ and the blood-bought vessel that I am comes in there and transforms me, transforms me and begins to allow me to show outwardly. And that's what God wants to do for you. Are you weak? Are you brokenhearted? Are you in this vices that, that man has, the devil has set up for you? God wants to deliver you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, reading this amazing story of this man, Samson, who seemed to be driven by his fleshly appetite, but here he trusted in your word and in your power and in your presence. We want that, Lord. We desire that. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would overtake our lives. Lord, that you would have that effectual work in us that we might bring you glory. I pray, Holy Spirit, take us to heights that we've never been. One more time, Lord, will you use us? And for those that haven't been used, Lord, will they have their pillar moments, Lord? Use them mightily for your glory, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your beautiful work of grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.